Hello, Mountain. My name is Erin, and I'm one of the pastors here. You know, most weekends you're going to be able to find me over at our Bel Air campus, but I'll just say it is so good to be with all of our campuses today. So a special welcome and hello to those of you who are at Abingdon, Bel Air, Edgewood, Mountain Road, and of course those of you who are joining us online. It is good to be together today. No, it is summertime around Mountain, and that means that a number of our staff are traveling. In fact, my family was actually in Michigan last week for a family wedding. My Aunt Lisa and my now Uncle Mitch got hitched. And uh, there are many highlights from that trip, but I thought I'd share one of them with you. This is one of my favorites. This is my daughter, Addie, at the wedding reception. You can see how much fun we're having celebrating. Check out the screen. the floss. I'm not even going to attempt it. She's been trying to teach me, but I, I can't get there. And she's got such joy, and uh, we loved it being able to get to see her dance. And in fact, next week, we've got another big celebration happening. This time, all the McDades, my husband's side of the family, are coming in, and we're going to celebrate the baptism of that sweet girl. It's uh, long awaited. Yeah, you can clap for that. It's been uh, about two years in the making. She's been begging, and so we've kind of pushed pause on it for a while because of her age. We wanted to talk with her about what it means, and so we prayed with her. We've talked with her. We've worked through this great book that Mountain Kids has developed. Um, if you are, have somebody in your family, a kiddo who wants to get baptized, I recommend go to one of our resource centers, stop at the connecting corner, and just pick up a copy of this resource. So good. But next week, she's going to be over at the Bel Air campus, and uh, she's going to make that bold profession of faith that many of us have come to say in our own lives. She's going to say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is my Lord, and he is my Savior. And these are the great words of the Apostle Peter as he confessed who Christ was in Scripture. And then uh, her dad and I are going to say, you know, Addie, because of your confession of faith, you are now baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. These are creedal words, and we've been talking about creed in this series that we are in. Creeds are just those statements of our faith that profess what we believe as Christ followers. And there are evidences of creeds all throughout Scripture. Uh, there are a number of creeds, like the, the Apostles' Creed, which we've been studying in this time together, that were born out of some of the earliest church worship services. And uh, many of these creeds were actually used at baptismal celebrations. So people like Addie, when they came to put their faith in Jesus, they would recite these creeds as a way to make it clear what they believed. The Apostles' Creed is actually a Trinitarian creed. And what that means is you'll see it's just divided into three different sections. One section that's going to talk about God, and we've been doing that together. Another about Jesus. And then the last one that talks about the influence of the Holy Spirit, this great three-in-one God who stands at the center of our faith. And so um, to help us jump into the story of our faith, I'm going to ask everyone at all of our campuses, go ahead and stand up if you are able and we are going to profess these words. Now, if you are someone who um, is you know, not a, a Christ follower, or maybe you just feel uncomfortable with this, 
that's okay. Welcome. You're actually in a really safe place to explore what Christians believe. Um, but if you do believe it, let's say it like we mean it. Okay, church? Let's read these words together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And go ahead and be seated. You know, today we're going to move into that third section, that third credo or I believe statement, which is just, I believe in the Holy Spirit, sometimes also called Holy Ghost. Um, I just want to acknowledge, maybe we can all just kind of get this out on the table right up front. For many, this is a really hard subject, almost creepy or something we don't really know what to do with. The idea of spirit or ghost brings with it so many different connotations. Uh, you look at the Trinitarian faith that we've been talking about, and we think about God, and we can get behind God as Father, God as Creator. I, I can say, and we can say that we believe in Jesus. We talk about Jesus all the time. We have evidence and get to read about his story in Scripture, how he walked here in flesh on earth and did things like eat and drink and hang out with his friends. I mean, that we can imagine. But then there's the Spirit. And if you're like me, sometimes I don't even know what to do with spirit. I grew up in a church tradition where we actually didn't talk about spirit that much. He was kind of like the forgotten member of the Trinity, just kind of pushed aside because so mysterious. Most of what I learned actually came if I was watching TV, you know, PBS, these documentaries. And I'd see stories of people who were, you know, handling snakes and speaking in tongues and the slaying of the spirit and you know, growing up, these were sites that were so unfamiliar to me that they really kind of creeped me out. They really did. I didn't know what to do with them. They were so different from my own. Now, I only saw one side of the coin. It was very sensationalized and emotional. But then I also had some friends who grew up in what we call more of a charismatic or Pentecostal background. And for these friends, you know, they had a very different experience of what spirit was. So now, as a church, as we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we have to ask ourselves, what does that even mean? Does it mean that I'm not a Christian unless I have these very emotional, sensationalized experiences? Does it mean that I have to speak in tongues? Are those the only way that Spirit shows up? Or does He also come in those quiet, still moments and then let's just assume Holy Spirit gets here. You know, what happens when he comes? Uh, will it be obvious that he's arrived? You know, maybe you're familiar with some of the stories in the Old Testament about Moses or Joshua, King David. We read in Scripture that God's Spirit came upon these leaders, and they accomplished amazing feats because of the Spirit's power. So Moses, what did he do? He split the Red Sea. 
Water separated and dry land was created for the Israelites to walk through. And then Joshua, he conquered cities. He conquered nations. We've got King David who killed a giant against all odds. Am I supposed to see similar results? Are you supposed to see similar results when the Spirit comes on us? So these are great questions. They're challenging. And I, I, I bet they only represent a handful of the ones that we have today. But we're going to take a look together what Holy Spirit is all about. In fact, we're going to build our time around three main questions about Holy Spirit. And as a way to get started, um, we're actually going to light a candle as an illustration and also as a way to welcome Holy Spirit among us and acknowledge his presence. We've already said that he's here with us. But fire is one of those symbols that is often used to describe spirit. And so when we light this candle, we're just acknowledging we are in the presence of the spirit. He's our guide for this conversation. He's our host. And only he can speak about who he is. And so we just say, Holy Spirit, will you have your way with us? Will you teach us? Will you guide us? Will you lead us so we can know more about you? That's our prayer today. So the first question, who is Holy Spirit? The short answer is Holy Spirit is God present with and in us. As a whole, like I said, we're not as familiar with spirit, but believe it or not, we can look at the Bible, we can pick it up, and we can read stories that point to who the spirit is. He is evident in the big and small moments of God's people. It makes me think of a family here in our church that our family's actually become very close to over the years and kind of have this little joke. They keep saying, you guys keep showing up, you McDades. You're always there at those big moments in our life. And it just, it played itself out in this way. Nathan met Todd in a hospital room. Todd was there, had some medical emergency, and Nathan was there praying with him and for him. And then uh, we were there when Todd married his best friend, Meg. Uh, also, when they summoned up the courage to join their first small group and to take those steps of faith for the first time. When they later purchased their first home, had their first baby, were baptized in a lake. I mean, you can see where this story is going. This is one of the cool things about being pastors. We get to walk with people and comfort, guide, and just befriend them. And this is what Holy Spirit lives for. Throughout the ages, God's people have sought to capture Holy Spirit in words, in writing, and also in art. And I don't know about you, but this is extremely helpful for me, um, where we don't have this physical form of spirit necessarily that we can conjure up in our minds. We need images like fire or dove or wind. Those are common images. Fire just talks about how you know, spirit illuminates God's truth and comes in power. Dove just talks to the gentleness of Holy Spirit. And then wind, that's just how spirit is always moving, always shaping God's people. And so we can, with the help of these images, when we read scripture and see these images, we can go, hey, Holy Spirit's present. So Holy Spirit is present in a, in a cloud and a pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire of the Israelites as they go throughout the wilderness. We see Holy Spirit is present in a burning bush with Moses, or at Jesus' baptism in the form of a dove, or even in Acts chapter 2 when we hear about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit's arrival, we see the Holy Spirit come in tongues of fire. All these illustrations, they just point us to the fact that God's Spirit has always been present with and in God's people. 
And so many times we're, we're tempted to just see spirit as an it. Uh, I've done that myself, kind of like a force, like the force in Star Wars is among us. Um, but that's not what we're talking about here. Holy Spirit is actually a person, one with the Father and the Son. And maybe a helpful way for you to grasp this concept is just to try speaking of Holy Spirit in terms of just Holy Spirit. We're, we're often, we say the Holy Spirit, but because uh, we don't have a proper name for Holy Spirit, drop the the and just say Holy Spirit. It's like I wouldn't call my daughter Addie the Addie. I'm just going to call her Addie. You know, in this case, we're just going to call Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And in that way, he becomes more personal to us. So I said we want a good introduction of Holy Spirit. And one of the best places to land in the Bible is in uh, the Gospel of John, actually starting with the 14th chapter. So if you've got a Bible, um, maybe you've got a Bible app open, go ahead and get to John chapter 14. We're going to be landing here for a lot of our time together. Um, this is, John is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. That's just the time where we're talking about Jesus's story on earth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can find it there. So at, let me set the context for this chapter. Number one, it's at a time where Jesus is getting close to going to the cross. And he's pulled all of his disciples together and he's said, okay, guys, there's a time coming very soon where I'm going to die. No worries. I'm actually going to come back to life. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to be with you for a little bit, and then I'm going to ascend. I'm going to go back to my Father in heaven. This is what Anthony talked about last week. But I'm actually going to leave someone with you while I'm gone. So I won't be here in physical form anymore, yet I'm still going to be here. And we can just imagine the disciples at this point. They're probably so confused. Kind of like, you know, Jesus, you just said that you're going. How is it that you're going to still be here? Think of it like uh, kids asking questions when a parent leaves for a trip, you know. How long are you going to be gone? How many days is that? When are you coming home? Are you going to bring me a gift when you're gone? Anybody watching me when I'm gone? You know, these are the types of questions that the disciples are asking. And Jesus just tells them in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. Basically, stay strong in the truth I've been teaching you. Keep going. And guess what? I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will ask the Father, and he's going to give you another now, the word for another, there are two words in Greek that could have been used. One is heteros, which means another of a different sort. And then alos, which means one of the same sort, kind of like identical, of the same essence. And that's the word that is used in this passage. So Jesus is essentially saying, you know, um, I'm going to give you the gift of myself, but not in the same form. The gift of myself is actually going to come in spirit form. And then he refers to that spirit form as advocate. Sometimes another, other translations talk about friend, comforter, counselor. Those are words that go along with advocate. We think about what advocate is in our own culture. It's just someone who stands up for you. It's someone who can speak on your behalf. Someone who is completely for you. And one of the best ways that you can be for someone is to be with them. 
So when Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you another advocate, he's essentially saying, I'm going to send you someone who is for you and is going to be with you, and it's going to be so obvious. Which brings us to our second question today, and that's just, what does Holy Spirit do? Well, the shorter answer is the Holy Spirit brings us closer to Jesus. That's closer to himself, closer to Jesus, closer to God, more in line with the ongoing dance of the Trinity. In his book, Love Does, Bob Goff, if you're familiar with him, he's a famous author, but also he's a lawyer. And he tells the story of making friends with a child in Uganda who had tragically been abducted and mutilated by some witch doctors. And he says right around the same time that he met this child, he also met a surgeon by the name of Randy Sherman, who happened to be the world's leading expert on repairing the exact type of damage that this boy had encountered. So Goff shares, you know, needless to say, I introduced the two to one another, and the story went from tragedy to something amazing and beautiful over the period of several months. This is a story of advocacy, of being for someone, of knowing what or who they need and helping them meet that need. Holy Spirit is our ultimate advocate, bringing us closer to who we need most. And we can look through scripture, all the New Testament writers in particular, try to tell us all the ways that Holy Spirit serves as advocate, some of which we see played out in the lives of people in this very room. So here's how Holy Spirit works in our community. Comforting when the tears won't stop. Granting peace even as divorce papers are being signed. Providing hope when test results come back positive. Convicting when lust takes over. You know these things. You felt them, church. Reminding us that we aren't orphaned, like we sang about today, rather, we're God's beloved daughters and sons. Holy Spirit is always counseling through hard parental decisions, emboldening us to speak our faith, healing broken hearts and broken bodies, bringing to mind the things of God, and praying on our behalf. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but I hope you can see that Holy Spirit as advocate is a God is God in action. And ultimately what he's trying to do is to teach us and remind us of Jesus. Every action he does points to the Son. He's what you would call the Jesus-shaped spirit, carrying on the mission of the Son in this world. So we can look at the Gospels, the story of Jesus, and we can see that Jesus healed the sick. He comforted the hurting. He spoke boldly truth. He forgave sinners. And then we look in the book of Acts, and we see the Holy Spirit doing the exact same things. If we want to know what the Holy Spirit does, we don't have to look any further than seeing what Jesus does. Because when you see the things of Jesus, you see the things of Holy Spirit. They are one and the same. Now, so a fun example for you, a couple weeks ago, my family was at Ikea, and uh, Nathan and our daughter Addie had gotten ahead of my oldest daughter, Elsa and I. Elsa's eight years old, and we were just talking, and she had a piece of paper, and she was doing something, you know, making a little design, and I just, I was like, Elsa, look at this. I mean, you are so creative. I really feel like God has given you the gift of creativity. And she's heard me say this before. She's a very creative girl. But in this moment, her response surprised me. She, she piped up and she said, it's true, Mom. And she was like, but you know what else? I think God also gave me the gift of sense. And so I'm thinking, can she smell really well? 
can she hear really well? And so, of course, I ask her, Elsa, what are you talking about? You know, tell me a little bit more. She was like, Mom, you know, the gift of sense. I can tell what's right and what's wrong. And, of course, my eyes got big, and I was like, yes, Elsa, that's awesome. Girl, that is the Holy Spirit in your life. He is teaching you about Jesus and pointing you to the things of Jesus. Jesus was a truth teller. The Spirit's a truth teller for you. Uh, Y'all, I think I freaked her out a little bit. I probably freaked out the people in Ikea too because I got so excited. But this is what Spirit does. Brings us closer to Jesus by pointing to Jesus. So the third big question we're in today is just, okay, We've learned who Holy Spirit is, a little bit of what Holy Spirit does, but how do we experience Holy Spirit? How does Holy Spirit come and be with us? Well, John chapter 16 says that when Jesus was leaving, he told his disciples, guys, it's actually going to be better that I go. Because like I said, I already told you, an advocate's coming. I'm going to ask the Father. And guess what? The only thing better than God's Spirit being with us is God's spirit being in us. And Jesus says that. He says, the only thing that got better than God's spirit being beside you is going to be God's spirit within you. In the Old Testament, we see spirit came upon these great leaders, often for one particular task. You know, when Moses had a part to see, spirit was there. Uh, sometimes we see that when the task was done, the spirit would leave. But then we see in the New Testament a different story unfold because God's spirit comes and rests on all people who have allegiance to Jesus. And not only rests on them, but within them, dwells inside of them. We read in Acts chapter 2 of the Holy Spirit's coming. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They, which is just the disciples who were gathered in a space, saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled, notice the language, with Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We go on to read that this cacophony of voices was such a spectacular noise that people who were outside came rushing in, as if, you know, a party had gotten out of control and they wanted to see what was going on. And here's where Peter, you just got to love Peter. His words just kind of make us laugh as we read them. But he stands up and he says, you know, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose. Guys, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. No, rather what's happening here is this is what the prophet Joel has said. This is what he was saying when he said there would come a day when the Spirit would rest on all people, would be in all people whether slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male, female, young, old, when the Spirit comes and dwells inside of Christ's followers, there is going to be a response that is so amazing. There's going to be a marker that lets us know that he's come. And Peter, in fact, had the Spirit within him in that day. And we read that he was able to stand up in front of so many and just boldly preach about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So much so that he urged the people to be repent, be baptized for the gifting of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Over 3,000 people came to follow Jesus that day. That's the Spirit at work. Spirit comes and shakes things up a bit. We see similar scenes of healing and bold prophecy, softened hearts, generous giving, and really just the faithful everyday following 
all throughout the book of Acts. In fact, if it's been a while for you since you've read the book of Acts, or maybe you've never read it, that's your homework. Go home this week, take the book. Every time that you see Holy Spirit mentioned, circle it. Notice what comes before and notice what comes after because almost every single time you see that open heart of a follower, you see the spirits indwelling, and then you see something powerful that happens in the big, in the small. There's no denying that it's God's power at work. And friends, just to note that it was the Jesus's, it was Jesus' disciples, their allegiance to Jesus that put them in a position to really receive the Holy Spirit in this way. They, again, they had made bold proclamations, just like my daughter Addie's going to do next week. They had professed Jesus as Lord. They had been baptized in his name. They had made career changes, confronted opposing cultures, communed with sinners, loved without limits. And sometimes we too are asked to do bold things that proclaim our allegiance to Jesus. In fact, my guess is that if Holy Spirit is truly present today, and I believe he is, then he's already nudging a number of us to respond to him in powerful ways. He is already saying there is something that you need to do to affirm your allegiance to Jesus. It can be as small as initiating a hard conversation that's going to lead to reconciliation. It can be as big as choosing to follow Jesus today yourself, coming up front and being baptized. When the Holy Spirit moves, we have to respond. And the beautiful thing is we are reminded that as advocate, he is for us and he is with us through that response. So I remember a couple summers ago when there was a huge windstorm um, that came. And it's much bigger than the storms we've been having this week in Harford County. Winds over 70 miles per hour. For whatever reason, I don't know how this happened, but our family we had no idea it was coming. We didn't pay attention, I guess. And so we went to bed that night, actually slept pretty soundly, um, woke up the next morning and went outside to our backyard. And let me just tell you, it was evident that something had happened. We have a trampoline in our backyard, and said trampoline was no longer in our backyard. It had actually flipped over a fence into the neighbor's house that's behind us, four-foot fence. It had flipped over the fence. The poles and the nets that were around it were completely destroyed. They were, you know, they were torn up. And what's more is that as it was positioned in our neighbor's yard, it was actually off the ground, okay? So our, our neighbor has tons of pine trees, and the trampoline had made its way to be wedged in between three big pine trees. It was off the ground. And we were like, whoa, what happened? How did we miss this? How did we not see what happened here? You know, there was evidence everywhere around our county, power outages and roads that were closed for days. Though I personally didn't see or experience this windstorm, it happened, and there was evidence all around. And so it is with the power of Holy Spirit. When Holy Spirit comes, there is no denying that he is present. I want you to take that image of my backyard and now think about the image of your life. When people look at your life, is it evident that the wind, the breath of God has blown in and shaken things up? Are things messed up in a good way? Are there fixtures that have once been a picture of your life, a stronghold in your life that for whatever reason, 
the reason being Holy Spirit's presence, are no longer there. Instead, they've been uprooted. They've been uplifted. They've been moved like tumbleweed down the street, no longer to be seen again. Maybe an addiction, maybe an ongoing lie, these things that are no longer there because the Spirit has come and moved them. Would people be able to say there is evidence in your life of spirits moving? Because if the Holy Spirit is with you, then the answer is yes. There is always evidence. In fact, in the Bible, we read about two primary ways that evidence takes place in the life of believers. The first is through gifts. Spirit gives good gifts. The other is through fruit. And so when you look at gifts, for example, you know, I, we believe in a God who gives tremendous gifts. The gifting of the Holy Spirit in and of himself is, the, is one of the greatest gifts we will ever have. But he also gives other gifts. And we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 how Holy Spirit is given to each of us in a special way. And it's always for the good of all. To some people, the Spirit gives a gift, a message of wisdom. To others, the same Spirit gives a message of knowledge. To others, the same Spirit gives faith. Paul, who's the writer of this, goes on to say, to others, it's the gift of healing. To others, it's miracles. To others, it's the ability to prophecy. To others, it's the ability to speak in tongues. Guys, it doesn't matter what the gift is. It matters only in that it can be used for God's mission, for Jesus' ministry, to it be advanced in and through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. So these are different gifts, and the Spirit's going to gift them when and how he chooses. You know, so many of us get so fixated on these gifts that we actually lose the point. We start comparing them and thinking one's better than the other. We lose the point that one, it's amazing that God even gives us gifts. And two, these gifts aren't for our advantage as much as they are for the advantage of everyone in this world. They are to be used to help bring others closer to Jesus. That's when the Spirit is working in our life. When we experience him, that's what's going to happen. So I'd say, yes, these gifts are awesome. There's a reason that we study them. There's a reason that we long for them. But it's really that second way, that second evidence of fruit. That that's, that's what we got to see in our life to know Holy Spirit is alive and active. Now, after talking about the gifts of the Spirit, Paul, in this, this same part of 1 Corinthians, says, um, you know what? These are great, but you should actually want the more important gifts. And then he goes on to talk about, in chapter 13, that famous chapter that's read in so many wedding ceremonies. He talks about love. And he goes on to say, you know, suppose I speak in the language of human beings or of angels, but if I don't have love, I am only a loud gong or a noisy cymbal. Guys, these gifts that I just mentioned, this is Paul, he's saying these gifts that I just mentioned, they pale in comparison to love, a love which is patient, kind, generous, forgiving, joy-filled. This is the snapshot of real fruit, of knowing that Holy Spirit is in our life and working. A familiar list of the characteristics of fruit can be seen in Galatians chapter 5, and for many of us, they're familiar. It's just saying, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So Paul's saying, guys, you can have all the gifts that the Spirit has, but if you don't have the fruit, if these things aren't evident, then you've missed the point. It's the fruit that allows us to know the Spirit has come. 
And please don't be misled. Um, many of us, when we hear about fruit, we're tempted to go to this self-improvement plan, right? So uh, I'm going to join an anger management class so I can be kinder, or I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to be more patient with my spouse, or I'm going to use gentle words when talking to my kids. We're tempted to rely on our own strength to get there. But that's what, not what we're talking about here. It is only by acknowledging our weakness, by saying, I can't do it myself. Holy Spirit, you got to come in. That invitation that we actually get to receive Holy Spirit and see the fruit manifest itself in our life. A lot of times for that to happen, we've got to be willing to slow down and take inventory of our life. And um, so though Spirit can come in a windstorm, it's really in those quiet daily breezes, the gentle breezes of our life that we get to see faithfulness and invitation for Holy Spirit manifest themselves. We've got to put our places, ourselves in a place where we can connect. Maybe it's by joining a small group. Maybe it's through regular prayer, whatever it needs to be for us to be able to tap into Holy Spirit's power and allow him to produce the fruit in our life. Now, I want to end with this idea. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever thought this, but I certainly have. I, you know, I've thought, gosh, wouldn't it have been really awesome to live back in the days with Moses and Joshua and Elijah? I mean, there are these great leaders who, it was just so evident that they had a relationship with God. I mean, Moses got to talk to God in a burning bush. You know, they, they had this access. They just, it seems like they knew him so personally and um, knew him so clearly, could understand spirits so clearly. Wouldn't that be awesome? If I could live that life like them, my faith would be so much stronger. And I just laugh at that now because... As I learn more about Holy Spirit, I actually think that that's not what it's going to be like. Instead of getting to heaven and wanting to ask Moses all about what was it like for you to talk to God on a mountain, I think that when I get to heaven, it's going to be more like Moses and Joshua and all these great leaders of old running up to me and just saying, oh my goodness, Aaron, what was it like to have God's Spirit in you? What was it like to have God's spirit always inside you? And Moses is going to be like, you know, I, I, had to, I had to climb a mountain every time I wanted to talk to God. Or it's that one time he talked to me in a burning bush, and that was just really weird. But, but you, you get to talk to him all the time. He lives and he's pitched a tent in your heart. He's pitched a tent in your mind, and you have access to talk with him every single day. We, that's awesome. Please tell me more what that's like. Guys, I hope, I hope and pray that that is the story that unfolds. I want to be that kind of person that has the Holy Spirit so alive in me that I can answer those questions faithfully. I want that to be for our whole church, that we have that same desire. So what we're going to do as we close out our time together today is we're going to have a moment where we can meet Holy Spirit personally. Again, maybe God's Spirit has been nudging you. And there's a decision that you need to make, be it big, be it small. So the band's going to come up as I pray, and they're going to lead us into a time of response. And during that time, I want you, be bold. Remember, you're not coming alone. It is the advocate who is with you and helping you take these next steps of faith. But if you would like to profess your faith in Jesus, 
If you would like to be someone who just has someone come alongside you and says, we'll help you get there, then there are going to be a number of pastors and leaders up front. And I encourage you, I urge you, come up front during this song. Allow them to pray with you and help you take those next steps. Let's go to God in prayer right now. Please bow your heads with me. Holy Spirit, come afresh. We confess that at times we have neglected you. Uh, We might have been quick to speak about Jesus and to profess who he was in our life, but we have been really shy in our experience and worship of you. Will you move in such a way today that it is evident that you're here? It's evident that you're in our lives. May your presence be so, so obvious. We just pray all this for the glory of God. And in the name of your son, Jesus, we welcome you.